This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Balog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order to release. This week, we're burning at the stake. While watching spine number 62 in the Criterion Collection, Carl Theodore Dreyer's Passion of Joan of Arc from 1928. But first, RJ, how you doing, oh. girl? Ooh, bae. Ooh, girl, you bad. Is that the kind of stuff you were going for there? Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah? Uh, I'm doing okay, man. I'm doing okay. I got a major gripe, and I need to pick your brain here for a minute. Okay. Uh, so you, you used to be a big fat guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yes. uh, so I can... Is it safe to assume that you used to hit up um, McDonald's a lot in your heyday? No. I, or... Actually... Any fast food? Fat, yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's how you get to be a big fat big guy. Fat, big fat guy. All and did you ever food. drive through these places? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you, I'm, I'm assuming. Now I'm taking a major liberty here that you've sometime in your life ordered a meal off of the uh, drive-through menu. Yes. Okay. So this is what happened. This is a big setup, and it's not going to pay off. But <laughs> I'm still telling you about it. Yeah. Because I'm, because I, I can't believe this. Okay. So I got pissed up on the weekend. You know what I mean. Mm. I, I, RJ style. I, RJ style. I got loaded up and uh, I was with Andrea and she was driving the car and it, we were going home and I was like, hey, baby, let's go get some burgers because that's also what I do. So we went to McDonald's, right? And we're driving through and she's like, what do you want? And I was like, get me a number. I think it was like number four or something, whatever the quarter pounder is yeah. with cheese. <laughs> so I got one of those and uh, she wanted some fries. I was like, I was like, you can have my fries, girl. That's fine. And she's like, okay, whatever, because I just want a burger, you know, put something in to soak up some of that stuff. So we order, she orders a number eight, and we go up to the drive-thru, and there's this guy there, young guy, maybe like 18, and uh, he hands us this bag, and we open the bag, and all that's in there is a quarter pounder. And he's like, okay, there you go. And we're like, well, what about the fries, man? What about the pop? Uh, I didn't really want the pop, but I mean, we paid for it, right? So yeah. it's the principle. I was like, what about the fries and pop? And he's like, you, he's like, you didn't order those. And I'm like, no, we ordered the number four. He's like, yeah, I know. But you have to, if you want fries and a pop, you have to say that you want fries and a pop. And I was a little bit, a little bit sideways at that point. And it made me really mad. And I said, wait a minute, man. I said, isn't that what a meal is? When you order the meal, isn't it custom to come with fries and a pop or like a side that, and a pop? That's been my understanding. Is that not how the world has gone this whole time? Well, and also, uh, I think it's like pretty standard practice in the uh, fast food industry to upsize people. So when they to say, I, "I just want," you just go, "Hey, I want a number four. Uh, is that a combo or just the burger?" Like you're supposed to ask that for clarification, so these issues yes. don't happen. Yeah. See, I think you should, and I know other people might not put in that effort, but when I order just the burger, I state very clearly. Yes. I'll be like, I would like a quarter pounder, just the burger, please, no meal. Because I've had the opposite happen, where you order a quarter pounder and they give you a meal, and you're just like, oh, well, not going to say no to the fries, I guess, because you can't, because they're addictive. <laughs> so I was just like, I was like, are you kidding me? And then this guy got started getting mad too, because he's like, he's like a hot young kid. Yeah. He's like, we can't assume that you want fries with your meal. You have to ask for those. And I was like, no, you don't. Uh, and like, I was trying to play it cool because you don't want to mess with people yeah, who are well, like, especially are, these millennials, these millennials. But yeah, because it would have been on YouTube and it would have been a hate crime because he was different from me. 
if you know what I mean. That could be a lot of stuff. I'll just I'll just say <laughs> it. he he was different from me, so it would have been it would have been a hate crime, and I didn't want none of that. So I, I tried to be very polite, and I was just like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "That's how it's always worked." Call up uh, what's his name, you know, the guy Michael Keaton played in the movie, Richard Croc, <laughs> something like that. Uh-huh. Let's call him. He he always put fries. The, call the founder. Thing. The founder, yeah, exactly. So. This really uh, got me all hot and bothered. And when we got home, I took it out on Andrea. <laughs> as you no, pun- just... as you as you punch your fist into your palm. I'm just kidding. I've, like, I've what got... are you a guy just waiting at the street corner waiting for the light? Yeah. Just waiting at a light, just pounding your fist. We yeah. saw that one time. It was weird. It was hilarious. Um, it was yeah, what was he doing? He was like a tubby like middle-aged <laughs> yeah. guy who was bald. Yeah. He was like wearing a normal ass t-shirt with shorts and he's just pounding his punching his with a, with a lady with a lady beside him. And he, he did it for like two minutes and then the crosswalk turned and he start or like the light changed and he walked across the crosswalk and he's still just like, yeah, we're just like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was doing some of that. But uh, just to clarify, I did not hit Andrea. <laughs> she fell down some stairs. Uh-huh. So uh, this joke will go over good with any female listeners. Uh yeah, with people who yeah. have I don't know humanity. Yeah, anyone. Yeah, anyone at all. But okay, I just I want to bring it up because it really made me mad. So what, so what happened? Did, so did you have to like did, then have to pay for he, your? Oh, he gave he gave us the fries. Oh, he and the gave them. Oh, okay. He he got us the fries and a drink, and he was just like, you know, next time you really have to say this. And I was just like, whatever, dude. It's mm-hmm. like I I know what I know what I am I'm about. I just assume at this point you were just like still like in the lineup, holding up everybody, drunk, and just like eating the fries, making eye contact with them, kind of like uh, two bulls in the wild or some bullshit. You're gonna sit here and watch me eat every goddamn fry, and then you ever seen someone put a uh, ketchup on fries one at a time? Uh, fuck no. I saw a guy do that this week at at the at uh, work. I saw a guy he put ketchup on every individual fry. Oh. So that's the kind of maybe I should have led with that. Your reaction's way stronger on that one. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I, mean, I I get like grossed out at the thought when I read like articles about McDonald's offering all you can eat fries. I I just Ooh. I uh, man, that's a bad idea. You're missing out. Oh. Anyways, I just I thought I would ask you because uh, as I said, you used to be a big fat guy, so. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> it's not mean, you guys. He's not anymore. I can say that. <laughs> so, anyways, that, anyways, that was my life. What's up with you, dude? Uh, if, I don't know. If I had any answers to that question, uh, I forgot them. It's, it was a long time ago since we started this episode. Yeah. You hey, simply so that, ep- so that last episode went pretty fucking long, eh? Oh, yeah. I know. I'm trying to take measures to... Uh, to uh, rectify that. Yeah, that that was out of hand to talk about one goddamn movie. I think that might have been one of our longest. Uh, well, it's definitely our longest non-Ghoul School episode. That's for sure. Oh, oh, that's yeah. for true. The, the much listened to Ghoul School episodes. Ghoul School. Yeah, those are those didn't perform as well as we had hoped. But, you no, know, no. whatever. We'll, we'll see what happens this October. We'll one see. day someone will find that and that guy will love it. Say, gentlemen, let me, I have a deal for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, as such, uh, I didn't watch a lot of movies this week because I didn't want to run long. Okay. Because we got a comment on the SoundCloud when the review actually started. 
one person was like, finally. Whoa. And they they tagged it on the time. So yeah. at least if anyone looks on SoundCloud, they can find out where the review actually starts now. <laughs> so he did our work for us. Yeah. He's doing our dirty work. Whoever he or she is. He or she is. Yes, very true. All we know is they're a happy face, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then. Um, so, RJ. Yo. What you been creeping on this week? Hmm. So as I, I may have mentioned, I don't know. I didn't. I tried not to watch too much stuff this week, and when I say try, I'm not an animal. I don't have to watch stuff all the time, but mm-hmm. you know, I try to keep it short. Unlike me talking about what I watched this week. Anyways, so uh, I went to a movie last night, and it's a new movie. It was one of the Marvel movies, baby. Oh. I went to that Spider-Man Homecoming. Have you heard of this? Uh, yes, uh, I believe we talked about that trailer uh, at some point uh, some months ago. How it was unremarkable and looked very marvelly. Uh, yeah, Michael Keaton. And it seemed like the, the trailer told the whole story. Yes. Uh, I can now confirm that the trailer does tell the whole story. Mm-hmm. And there's not much more to it. Okay. Uh, so to start, I guess, I don't know. I was a Spider-Man kid. I think most kids are. Oh, yeah. You identify with Spider-Man. And I was in the 90s when that sweet cartoon was airing. And I was just like, fuck yeah. Had a lot of those toys. I was all about that shit. Yep. So I really like I really like Spider-Man. I got a, I got a soft spot in my heart for him. Um, this movie is a real mixed bag because I'll start with the good stuff because it's not as much as the okay. stuff I didn't like. Uh, I really they do a few things in this movie that I think are really good where it's like Peter Parker's a kid. He's 15 and they kind of nail his Spider-Man-iness where what I mean is he kind of like messes up a lot. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of a goof. And I think that's wicked. Not like cringe humor where it's like, oh, God, like that kind of stuff, which I think a lot of these movies fall into now. Um, but I thought they they did like a good job. There's a scene where he's running through the suburbs and he goes to shoot his web and there's no buildings around. And he's like, oh, man. So he just runs in a big open field and they just show it for like 20 seconds. And you're like, yeah, I guess that would happen sometimes if he was like out of the city. That's pretty cool. Mm hmm. Uh, so I really like that. Like, I think they, I think when he's actually just being Spider-Man, they show him pretty well. Uh, but that's about it for me because <laughs> the rest of it is, well, the rest of it is, it's the, the Iron Man show. And it's, he's not even like Robert Downey Jr. is not even in it that much, but this whole movie fucking revolves around like the Avengers and shit like that. Um, and, like, as much as it is, like, well, the bad guy is, like, collecting Avengers weapons or whatever, like the Chituri weapons, and they're doing this and that, and then it kind of all comes back to Iron Man. And I don't know, man. I think there's there's something missing in this movie. Like, it's really disingenuous to, like, the character, I think, because, uh, like, everyone knows Spider-Man now. This is, like, the sixth movie, but it's, like, you know, that great power, great responsibility thing. Mm-hmm. And by the and people were getting really sick of that, like getting really over it. So they don't ever address it in this movie. And I kind of wish they did a little bit because you see him doing things where he's like he's trying to balance his life and he's like making sacrifices to like go do to go help other people, like making s- sacrifices for himself where he like, yeah, he wants to go bikini swimming with all these hot babes in his high school. But he can't because he wants to go do other stuff. But I think like 
other iterations, they really kind of nail where he just feels like he feels really obligated. He's worn like because he's got that Uncle Ben stuff hanging over his head. But this movie makes it all about Tony Stark and all about how like he's trying to impress Tony and he wants to be an uh, Avenger. So it just kind of feels it's like, what is he really doing it for? He's kind of seems like kind of a not like a selfish little kid because he's he makes those sacrifices, but it's for the wrong motive. Do you know what I mean? Okay. He's, he's doing it all for Tony Stark. And then, like, this is kind of a, uh, a little spoiler, but not really. It starts off and it shows that, like, after Civil War, Spider-Man's just, like, been trying to call Tony every day. And he's like, hey, man, let's go hang out. Let's fight crime. And then he's just, it's just, like, nothing. He doesn't hear from anything ever. And then later, Robert Downey Jr. pops up wearing, like, a lot of makeup in one scene. Like, a lot of makeup. I don't know what they were doing. And he uh, he's just like, he's like, yeah, I was watching your feeds all the time. I was there. I was with you. And it's like, what? But he was like never actually there and never actually talked to him. So he's a real absentee like father figure. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that makes up for him like not being there. Just saying is like, well, I was checking in on you all the time. And then he has this big statement and he's like, you can't do you can't do stuff because it'll come down. Like if you get hurt, it comes down on me. And it's like, what are you talking about, man? Like you haven't you've literally haven't helped him at all other than saying that you're watching what he does through the suit. So I feel like that's really dumb because it's like, what are they like going after here? Um, And I don't really like that Iron Man made a suit. Because, like, I think Spider-Man usually has all that techie stuff, but, like, I like that he makes it himself, kind of, and it's all just yeah. given to him here. And there's, there's like, comedy scenes where he's foibling around with it, and he doesn't know how it works, and it's just like, all right, but I don't know, man. It's just, it didn't, it's not my Spider-Man. <laughs> it, 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 it ain't your dad's Spider-Man. Uh-huh. So there's stuff like that, and I was just like, man, I don't care. And, like, whenever the Avengers stuff gets brought up, you're like, I don't care. <sighs> How about that uh, founder? Michael Keaton? Yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit biased because I really like Michael Keaton. He's fine. I remember everyone saying how it's like, oh, they, they finally did, like, a good villain. And I, I don't think it's – I guess it's because his motivation is because he's he has a family and he's, sell, he's making and selling, like, these fucking weapons weapons that blow up entire blocks but he's like but i'm doing it for like my family you know so i guess that's what they're saying like he's he's fine he 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 does a good job but i don't understand why everyone's saying like he's the best part of this movie and there's something really funny and really off when you see michael keaton and he's just like tell me what do you know about (laughs) spider-man like seeing him say that i kind of feel bad for him but at the same time, I think they gave him a ton of money for this, so so that's yeah, fine. Don't feel too bad. Yeah, I don't feel too bad for him. But no, it's I don't know, it's it's very fine. Like I I don't like it that much, but I know some like a lot of all the Marvel people will. Uh, I just think there's too much of that, and I'm I'm probably never gonna watch it again. Yeah. They even have one of the coolest Spider-Man villains, Shocker, in here, and they fucking. I don't understand. Like, they don't even do it right. They just give him one glove that he punches shit with. But they showed earlier that there's the weapons where, like, he has his both fists and, like, stuff comes out of it. Like, the shock waves. They so they showed sh- that they, they could do Do they do give that. him the, like, yellow padded suit? Uh, he's got sleeves. Yellow padded sleeves. Oh. 
but like they so they show you that they have the stuff that shocker sh- should have yeah but they just give him like a glove and like he doesn't die or anything so i guess he could come back more but i was a little disappointed i was like man that sucks um you know dude i've heard a lot of people say that this is the john hughes of superhero movies uh and i don't agree with that at all i've never who said that i saw one guy say that one guy there's yeah there's even uh i think there's even some john hughes stuff in here maybe even a clip from his movie but i won't let that one slip on you i won't i won't spoil that little a little nugget baby i don't know it's very fine Jarrett. so i don't know man I like Spider-Man, and uh, there's certain things I like in this, but there's a lot of stuff that I was just like, ugh, I don't care. I don't care about all this Avengers stuff. Trash. Yeah, and now we have Dead Air. No, because I I have nothing to say. Uh, I'm not going to see this movie. I haven't seen seen the previous two Spider-Mans. I don't know. Fuck it. I think Amazing Spider-Man is fine. Like, it's not the best movie, but I actually think Andrew Garfield's not bad. Yeah, but he's got a weird so, neck. A lot of people say that, but I think he's a dreamboat, and people should acknowledge <laughs> that. So whatever, Jarrett. Okay. All right, and send, then the creeps went to the movies. Oh, yes, we did. And you and me, this is a rare treat. This is the very first new Christopher Nolan movie we get to talk about. Yeah, it is. Because I'm a big fan of that guy. Not, yeah, there won't be another one for like two years probably. Two years? No. One one every two years is his mm-hmm. his uh, usual pace, so it'll be a while. Yeah, so we saw Dunkirk. Yeah, we did. Hot, we went to the theater. Hot opening weekend. Theater mm-hmm. was jamming at two o'clock in the afternoon. It was. There was a lot of seniors, which uh, you you uh, cleverly noticed. A lot of those old guys were crying. Oh yeah, when we were leaving after during the cre- during the credits, uh, I was looking back and there's there's a big old man just wiping the tears away. Because mm-hmm. he was so moved, apparently. Moved. So, moved. Uh, Dunkirk. Uh, this is a movie mm-hmm. that it's about uh, uh, the attempted evacuation of Dunkirk in mm-hmm. 1939, mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe, uh, as the German forces, the, the axes are coming up uh, on the British and France who have been cornered and need to get the fuck out of there. Right. Um the story, because it's a Christopher Nolan movie, has three temporal levels. Uh, right. One takes place over, like, one part of the movie takes place over the course of a week. The second part takes place over the course of a day. And the third mm-hmm. story takes co- place over the course of an hour. And, right. And uh, it's because uh, Christopher Nolan, I guess, maybe gets bored with straightforward narrative. And that's kind of his, his gimmick mm-hmm. is the play with time. Non-linear storytelling, Jarrett. Yeah, that's what uh, the Nolan fans like to call it. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh-huh. it's all fancy like that. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, the the uh, week-long story is uh, we're with a soldier on the ground at Dunkirk as uh, he waits along with uh, hundreds of thousands of other soldiers uh, while not getting mowed down by enemy planes, shelled, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. And the B story, it follows the adventures of, um, I guess, some patriots, some good yeah. c- some good citizens who are shipping out to uh, Dunkirk to bring life jackets uh, mm-hmm. for soldiers who may or may not need them because they're running out. And maybe they'll save some lives on the way there because, yeah, 
That's what you do to be a, a good person, RJ, mm-hmm. during tough times. Well, there's there's no running that. from this, a what? Yeah, I know. A what? A what? Yeah. Uh, and then the beast, the sea story, uh, the one that takes place over the course of an hour, is uh, in, in a spitfire. Mm-hmm. And you get to follow Tom Hardy and friends uh, zip around and shoot down Z-Germans. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what the movie is. It's essentially, it's a kind of a nonstop action movie. Uh, yeah. The way that the movie's edited is that, so you're never really allowed to be bored because like one scene mm-hmm. transitions into the next and it's another like, what happens next? What mm-hmm. happens next? What happens next? And that's the kind of the whole thing. So no one could really ever complain about this movie being boring. And mm-hmm. RJ, it runs huh? at, a, at a very small 107 minutes, which like when yeah. I saw that, I was kind of like taken aback because generally speaking, mm-hmm. when you think war movie and you think summer blockbuster kind of thing you're like oh right. that's gonna be at least 220 i mean goddamn mm-hmm. the lot like when was the last time uh christopher nolan's made a movie under two hours it's been uh not since like his first one almost pretty much or maybe insomnia mm-hmm. maybe insomnia. but uh you know i thought about that i was thinking about that after we saw it too and it's kind of what you said about the way it's edited they cut out all the fat man and it's just right there so i think it's i think it was the right call there's not too much filler because shitty people on the internet would have been like, oh, it's boring. But then cool people like us would have been like, yeah. So It's long. I, it's long. <laughs> it's long and boring, and we love that. Yeah. Um, we no, watch I think Criterion that, movies. Mm-hmm. I think that was the right call on their parts. Chris knows what he's doing. Big Chris. So, uh, big Chris. RJ, what did you yep. think of Dunkirk being a big old Christopher Nolan fanboy? I'm a fan. Um so I'll talk about it briefly, but I don't, I'm not totally sure yet. I'm going to see it again and I'm going to let it stew some more. Um, my initial reaction was that I liked it. I thought it was really good. I don't think it's in the top echelon of his movies. Like it's, I don't know. It's not in maybe like in the top five, it's five or six or something like that. I thought it was really good. I, I don't know, man. I don't. It's hard to talk about Christopher Nolan for me, because I I just talk about that I really like his stuff and that I think he's good at directing. <laughs> um, uh, no, I like I like the setting. I, he finally got to make his Dunkirk movie. He's wanted to do it for a long time. Uh, I like the three storylines. I think they're all good. Uh, shot very nice. Hoyt Van Hoytum is back. <laughs> he's a he's a he has replaced Wally Pfister as a resident Nolan cinematographer and mm-hmm. I think he's he's really good uh, we got big Hans Zimmer on the score laying mm-hmm. down some TikTok sounds I think that is also very good uh, at first I wasn't like I like his the way he tells stories like in that as you put it temporal three different temporal elements and stuff mm-hmm. like that I really yeah. like that and I like when he backtracks on things like that I can I can see why other people might might not but i'm i really dig that stuff i like seeing it i think he he does it better than almost anyone and i think a lot of people especially after like memento a lot of people tried to copy him and they can't because they're not as good as he is at making movies like this uh i one thing i really like is how um quiet this movie is not not in like it's this movie's really loud 
Like, there's a lot of noise all the time, but the characters don't really say much. And I think that's... I, I, I dig that. I feel like that's maybe how it would have been like. I don't know. I've never fought in a war. I don't know. Maybe people are yelling all the time. <laughs> but I... I I don't know. You get that feeling when you see, especially like the guys on the beaches and the guys who've like tried to leave on the boats, you get, you, they really nail that sense of how like worn down these guys are and just kind of sick of all this shit, even in knowing that it's not going to stop anytime soon. Right. Like the guy who was on two, like two separate sunken ships and he's just like, fuck, I really want to get out of here, but I don't think I will. Um, so I really like stuff like that. Uh, what else? Do you, you, why don't you take it over for a little bit? Okay. Um, I'm just kind of writing notes as you're talking about the movie. Um, uh, sure. so I thought, okay, so these are criticisms, a movie that I like, <laughs> like, I, mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's another good Christopher Nolan movie. Um, it's... I would definitely say that it's kind of in the, uh, probably the, bottom half maybe of his filmography for me maybe i don't know it all depends mm-hmm. like so uh, last year uh pre-podcast i uh was re- going through all my favorite directors and rewatching all their movies or guys who, like mm-hmm. i thought were my favorite directors or just like current people i hadn't seen their movies in a long time so i watched like pt anderson tarantino uh, uh some of the cohen stuff and then i mm-hmm. uh, was like oh i gotta watch all the christopher nolan movies because i've only ever seen most of those movies once like after mm-hmm. uh Batman Begins, I've only seen any of those movies one time. And then I went through those, and I was, like, always amazed at how much uh, of, like, uh, Inception had aged poorly for me. And so that kind of, that movie's Mm kind of, like, right on the line for me as far as these movies go. And then, like, below that, you have, like, uh, I would say Insomnia, Dark Knight Rises, Batman Begins, that sort of stuff. Um, So this this movie just comes out, like, like, probably around the same levels inception like it's a mm-hmm. little bit above because i think like uh i think the movie perfectly captures sort of this like losslessness that like humanity in the face of like the technological juggernaut of a like nationalized war, like army is mm-hmm. like just like those shots of like like people just looking up at this airplane coming toward them and you're like oh fuck that's like the scariest thing i've ever seen in my life because i mm-hmm. think like nothing i can do is going to do anything about it like there's a guy trying to shoot at it just kind of like to try but it's yeah. like pretty pretty slim pretty slim sh- chances uh of taking that thing out but uh right. th- but it's just like so it's like that's just like the terrifying aspects of war which i think mm-hmm. this movie is trying to drive home is sort of like this uh, i don't know trying to just get through it and that's like kind mm-hmm. of like it always comes down to that with war movies um it usually comes down to things like camaraderie that sort of thing Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did you feel that there was like much sense of camaraderie as far as like the, within the forces go? Like it seemed like it people, I don't know, in those situations, it all falls apart, which actually seems right. like a, it's a very Christopher Nolan mindset. Mm-hmm. Like his, his movies are very like individualistic yep. at the end of the day, even when they're like team mm-hmm. efforts, it seems like people are always like about to go crazy or backstab everyone mm-hmm. or like undermine the whole process. So I'm not sure if that's just like his MO, his worldview that seeps through everything he makes. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like, obviously like the big, like swelling moment in the movie, like goes against that. And it's probably mm-hmm. like, wow, things are going to be okay after all kind of moment, which is like, that's a, a, a what a treat that is in, mm-hmm. uh, in a, in the Nolan verse. Yeah. yeah. He usually ends on a pretty 
sad note or something that just makes you feel lonely, I guess. But no, I think he did a good job of showing both because you do get the sense between a lot of like, especially a lot of the guys that have the guys on the beach that have been there for a long time. You get you get that feeling where they're starting to turn on each other. But then there's there's two guys who don't because they've been through something together. And then there's there's that camaraderie there. Well, there's even the situation like right, 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 right at the beginning of the movie, like when the soldier, the the British Mm -hmm. soldiers are the the allied soldiers are walking through the streets and then they just start getting picked off and they're just like Mm -hmm. running for cover. They don't give a fuck about the person behind them because at the end of the day, it's like about your own survival. But it's kind of like very un military movie where she's usually like the squad is all in it together and they're like, mm-hmm. oh god they hit murphy oh jesus christ oh, we got to get murphy back and then there's all that like the, this movie has no time for that no, no time mm-hmm. for those types of uh heroics um i wouldn't wait for you no <laughs> i'd be gone man see you later see you later dude mm-hmm yeah. Um I was uh, yeah, this is I was kind of expecting uh Tom Brady at the end of the movie to like pick up the uh, nuclear weapon and fly it out to sea. Um, oh. <laughs> well, he could have, but that's what he likes to do. Yeah. He did his own n- nuclear nuclear mm-hmm. activities. Yeah. So. Yeah, flying around, saving the day. Yep. Uh <laughs> yep, and then being like Mad Max. <laughs> With his like face mask over and burning cars on a desert plane, I think he. I think maybe that that might be a contractual thing for him. Maybe he just doesn't want people to see him in movies. Right. He seems like that kind of guy. He doesn't really like Hollywood mm-hmm. and things like that. He's an actor, but he doesn't like it. So mm-hmm. you ever seen that interview with him where he's just eating gummy bears the whole time? No. Or like a, a jar of candy. It's for the revenant, and Leo is like answering the questions. And Tom Hardy's just like reading the ingredients to a big jar of candy. And they ask him a question. He's like, huh? Huh? So <laughs> I don't think he I don't think he cares that much about it is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cinematography in this movie is ace. Uh, oh, yeah. It brings a whole lot to the movie. In fact, there's mm-hmm. not really much of a movie without that, I don't think. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'd be I'm not. I had the opportunity to watch this in 70 millimeter, but that would have like been like an entire day trip to do it. And I was like, nah, you know, it's just Dunkirk. <laughs> it's just Dunkirk. You, you go down to the veterans hall and tell, say that. <laughs> I will. And then Buddy. I'll kick their amputated leg out from under them. Yeah. And actually when you bring that up, uh, the last like three or four Chris Nolan movies I've made, I've made the day plans where I go to the IMAX theater and make a, a watch of it. If I had known this was playing in 70 millimeter, I probably would have, but I thought it was just playing in IMAX theaters. And I actually, I think the one in Calgary isn't like an actual real one. Hmm. I don't know. I have, I have my doubts. Maybe someone else can confirm this. I think it's just big, but I, I was in an IMAX theater in Colorado once and it was like, unlike any theater I've ever been in. So I don't really think the one, the closest one to us is, the most authentic so i don't know if it's worth making that day trip unless you really you really want to get some get some stuff you know mm-hmm. what i mean well yeah uh, my my friend Corey, he went up to it and saw it he seemed to mm-hmm. really enjoy it but he's also a big world war ii fan he likes those wars yeah and uh yeah uh other notes uh hans zimmer's score i thought was maybe a little too on the nose 
it was a little too like it really drove the movie in a way that sometimes mm-hmm. is almost too much. I could see someone criticizing it for that. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I didn't do, feel. Do you think it's just because you're so exposed to Hans Zimmer now because he fucking does the score for every movie? I, I don't think so. I don't know if very many movies off the top of my head that I've seen with his scores of late. Amazing Spider-Man? <laughs> no, Two? No. <laughs> uh, what else? So there, part of the thing, too, is like so I, I appreciated this actually at the very beginning of the movie, but then overall I started getting like, this is kind of getting repetitive. It's sort of the right. like Sisyphean task of like, oh, let's get onto the boat. Oh, the boat got sank, and let's get off the mm-hmm. boat and wait for the next boat. Oh, let's try this. Oh, no, this boat sank, too. And mm-hmm. like it's just like kind of this absurd task. Um, of like trying right. to leave and you can't, but at the same time, it's like it's the same action of guys almost drowning in boats as it turns on mm-hmm. their side <laughs> over and over yeah. again. And Cillian Murphy it, being intense. Oh, he likes to be intense, and like so, he's a, he's Chris Nolan's main man. Yeah, Scarecrow. Um, so what was his? What was the deal with him? In like his scene, he was like, but he said that he was shell shocked. Yeah, right? but, but so you thought, was, you, I thought you were going to see more of him, but in fact, we just saw him like before he got like sunk by a U boat. Maybe the trailer just uh, deceived you because you saw you saw him and you're like, oh yeah, that's Chris Nolan's main man. He's mm-hmm. probably in this a good yeah. bit because yeah. he usually is, but I guess uh, I guess not. Okay. Yeah. So uh, at the end of the day, I. I'm not a super big war movie fan. <gasps> I thought you loved war movies. I like I like some war movies, but on the whole, it's just, it's not a genre that like I'm like yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, as far as like movies, like I would go and rewatch again. I don't think Dunkirk is high on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? I mean, I remember watching Interstellar with you many moons ago right. and being like, that mm-hmm. was pretty good. And then rewatched it. And was like, wow, that's like his best movie or like one of his best movies. Like that's like a mm-hmm. what a what a what an uptick yeah. for it. So who knows what will happen with Dunkirk. First view, right. thought it was good. Um, mm-hmm. When I see people talk about it being a, his masterpiece and stuff like that, I go, nope. And because uh, mm-hmm. those those first time views of his other movies, they really stirred my cockles. And uh, oh, I, they, 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 they felt like, yeah, these are like really, really great movies. This movie just seems mm-hmm. like, yep, he got to make the movie he wanted to make for years and years. And mm-hmm. uh, that's that. Like it's fine. We'll yeah. Keep... Next, next one, please. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it, actually, because that was kind of the same response I had. Like I watched it, I was like, "Yeah, that was really good." But whenever I had first watched any of his other movies, I would leave in the theater, and I was just like, "Whoa, mm. that talk about inspiring movies, baby!" <laughs> like you, I don't know his other stuff. I I felt the same way where. It, the first viewing kind of really left a impression on me and but kind of like what you said too the more you watch some of them sometimes the more you see and the more you take from it so that's why i'm not i, I don't have too much to say about it because i'm going to see it again and uh, i'm going to see how time uh how time lets it sink in for me and then i'll have more of a solid response i guess on how i actually feel about right. this but and the initial viewing was yeah it's good it's not his best. Uh, it's nowhere near his not best movies, which he has a couple. But yeah, I like all his stuff. I think they're all ace. So that actually, this this one's me. like right in the middle. Yep, 
Yeah, pretty much. Which I guess is like it's a disappointment in that sense because it's like you always expect him to like one up himself or at least make another yeah. like great film in his canon. But instead, it's like oh yeah, no, it's his like it's his war movie. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I was going to mention though is like yeah, going back to the cinematography thing is like this movie looks like it should be shot on seventy millimeter and like it really like took advantage of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas like when I think of uh, Hateful Eight, which was also mm-hmm. shot seventy millimeter, and like how oh it's a movie that's shot all interiors. Uh, mm-hmm. like on essentially a sound stage and it's like why the fuck was this shot in 70 millimeter like you, it's, right. it's, it's like one of those things that like always annoyed me with that movie as people have talked about that and I'm like other than those like, the really great establishing shots like one, mm-hmm. then the movie just transitions to just being indoors like the entire time and it's like that's not a good use of that camera in that lens mm-hmm. at all like yeah, yeah. What, a, what an arrogant move Quentin yeah cute prick yeah yeah Maybe his Manson movie will be shot in 80 millimeter. Mayhap. Mayhap. Um, and then Twin Peaks. <laughs> that, yeah, baby. Twin Peaks. Why don't you, do you want to start? Well, you can go ahead. To, uh, you can talk about. No, you, th- this is your, this is your area. You, you lead. Okay. So, uh, this episode was, I don't know, the, ever since the, the controversial episode, the, uh, got a light episode, whatever people would call it. Uh, I think the, the show has kind of like gotten its trajectory of where it's going now. Cause at first mm-hmm. people are kind of like, what is this? And it's like, not really, where's all my characters? Where's it going? Et cetera. Uh, the last three episodes, it seems to be like honing more and more in on where it's going. Um, yeah. and this new episode, uh, was definitely getting into like I don't know I felt very anxious watching this episode at times like you ah. I was like oh god what the fuck is this mm-hmm. oh god and then like it, they they just kept uh, I don't know loading up imagery that uh, I, I I love in my David Lynch movies mm-hmm. uh, it opened up with a like the savagely beaten uh, large lady who uh, yeah. f- uh, survived her encounter with Richard Horn crawling th- through the woods. That was like, whoa, that's like, uh, that's some classic this, Lynch. <laughs> yeah. This movie starts at about a hundred miles an hour and yeah. it, it just, I think it stays at that for most of it. Like, yeah, that's how yeah. I thought when it started. I was just like, mm-hmm. "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah, then you get yeah, Shelley hanging onto the car mm-hmm. hood, uh, yeah. followed by bullets flying, followed mm-hmm. by God, what was the next crazy thing? Was it wasn't the traffic scene yet? Because that was about the only that was a point where it's like, oh, this the episode is slowing back down, and now we're getting a uh, double R scene. And, I think uh, the next was the. Uh, dirty bearded men scene with uh, oh. David on site. Oh fuck. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that, that scene the, was in the ghosting, sneaking hobos. Oh, oh fuck, man. That was so awesome. That's like, mm-hmm. that's everything I love about the twin peaks universe right there. The, right. the that's shit that above the convenience store, the, mm-hmm. the blue rose stuff. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And, uh, this episode had some of that and had some more, uh, like brains, imploding <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, poor matthew, shaggy sorry matthew lillard the yeah co-killer and scream and slc shaggy. slc punk all that mm. all those classics uh yeah. yeah no then we had yes the that's that whole bit um with hobos disappearing hobos they're scary, yeah. very scary uh and mm-hmm. then later on david lynch describes them as was it uh i, I quoted dirt, it bearded dirt, dirty men I, I quoted it because it was one of the best lines i've ever heard in twin peaks it was dirty bearded men in a room 
And because he's like not talking and then he just says it. He's like yeah. dirty bearded men in a room. I remember now. Yep. And you're just like, God damn it. Well, you, did also it get, you also get his reading. He's dead. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh so, so hard. Yeah. Like you, you know how when you're by yourself and you see something funny, you don't, you don't always like laugh out loud because you know you're just by yourself. That one, I was like, <laughs> it gave me, it gave me a good, a good chuckling down at the chuckle hut. Yeah, he's dead. You're like, God damn it, Dave! You know how to, you know how to deliver comedy. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- then we had the diner scene. Oh and yes. Then we had a bullet flying, and then we had the traffic, <laughs> the the traffic scene. That man. What Poor a, Bobby. What a moment. What a moment with an angry woman uh, mm-hmm. behind the wheel honking and honking and her passenger. That's such a that's such a Lynch character, though. Like the woman, what she's like talking about getting home mm-hmm. and how she's acting. That's so very Lynchian. I know you love that term. <laughs> yeah. But that scene is fucking nuts, man. When uh, her passenger kind of rises up, you're just like, oh, my God. And Bobby, I feel bad for Bobby too because he just saw Shelly. She's getting picked up by random dudes, and he's well, just like, "It's not even just random dude. It's the I think it's the drug dealer. It's Richard. It's the ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah." yeah. But uh, that scene in general, I think, is really well done because when they're first at the diner, mm-hmm. there's so much color in that scene. Yeah, there's like pinks and greens and yellow, and it looks fucking awesome. And then it goes out to the really dark street, and then. It's I don't know. That's that's when he does his stuff the best, man. You you have that big colorful scene and then you go down into like the darkness with mm. the zombie girl and you're just like, What the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. It's good stuff, man. Yeah. And it's then the and then like the second half of the episode is just kind of like a lost episode of like a mix of breaking bad and casino. Yeah. With with Dougie. With Dougie and uh, your your buddies T Bag and Jim Belushi. That's right. Uh, and I thought yeah. that whole last like second half was like a complete like change of pace, but I loved it. I thought it was so good. Uh, I I loved the payoff. I just loved where it went, and it's like yeah, it's all worked out just fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, and we're we're getting closer to the return. Oh yes, we the are. Re- with some damn fine pie, man. Mm-hmm. It's every little bit. First it was coffee, and then it was pie. He's he's almost there. Mm-hmm. It might take the whole series, but he'll get there. That's right. Um, yeah, I, this episode is super good. Uh, one thing I also want to talk about is Jim Belushi eats tries to eat a bowl of raisin bran crunch, mm-hmm. and I love that cereal. And it is unavailable in Canada, and I feel like that's a fucking outrage. So if you if you live where you can get raisin bran crunch, live for me, <laughs> damn it, because I can't get it up here, and I miss it. So good. You ever had raisin bran crunch? No. Well, you suck. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this episode's wicked with the uh, the ghost hobos and uh, the sky vortex <laughs> and, and David Lynch reaching toward it. Oh God, it's so good. Dirty <laughs> bearded men in our room. <laughs> yeah, it's a good show. Yeah. People should watch the show. Yeah. Oh, I thought there was a I. Before I had watched it, you would I think you just texted me a thumbs up with Twin Peaks or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it must be a good episode if Jarrett's uh, letting me know. Um, I thought there was a uh, kind of a lost highway scene in this episode. I thought that's what you dug. Oh. When uh, 
Amy Seafried or whatever is shooting yeah. at that door and then it kind of goes on that cam across yeah. the hallway. I thought that was really lost highway E. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's a I haven't seen that as much as you have, but mm. that was what I thought of immediately. I was like, "Hmm, where the hell is this camera taking me?" Yeah, that, that's a yeah. an old uh, there's even like the old um the intense like um the high tension music that they dropped in during the, yeah. the Men of Secret episodes. Like that's very like uh, early Twin Peaks. Uh, they haven't dropped yeah. those ones for a while, but it seemed like scenes involving like Leon doing so- or Leo doing something horrible <laughs> to Shelley. So. Yeah. History just repeats oh, itself. History repeats itself, man. Dave knows that. I was uh, I was asked to ask you, is the piano man at the end of any significance? That, well, it's because, Ange- that's Angelo Benalmente. So that's the actual guy who's oh, done all the scores and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, longtime Creep fan. We can say that, right? He, yeah. He's listened to the episodes. I've heard you bring up his name before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So that was yeah. That was old Angelo. Okay. He was also uh, his other cameo in David Lynch movies was he's like one of the evil conspirator Hollywood producers in Mulholland Drive. It's him and uh, Dan Hedaya. And he's the guy who like okay. orders like the. It's like he orders like the coffee and he like drinks it and spits it back up. It's like the such a strange thing. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's him. Which I didn't realize until I was like confirming if the piano player was Angelo, which I just, I'm like, okay. it's got to be. There's like no one else. It was, it's going to be so. I, I knew you would know, mm-hmm. and then it even had uh, your uh, your other theory about David that you put on the Instagram. If anyone's not following, they should mm-hmm. because Jarrett dropped some hot knowledge on the Instagram. Mm-hmm. Had uh, one of uh, David Lynch's favorite things, and it, it was one of those lamps, oh. and it was flickering in that piano scene. Mm-hmm. There's always lamps. So, Watch for, for there's the lamps. always lamps, lamps, and bad things happening in beds. Yep. and uh, fat, large people <laughs> getting mad about stuff. Yeah. Oh, your buddy uh, Harry Dean Stanton had a pretty good show in this one too. Yeah, he he, he dropped in. Had the uh, police uh, mm-hmm. um, with his word. car. Whatever that's yeah, called. Yeah, with his car phone. Yeah, buzzing in yeah. when he needs to. Mm-hmm. Oh, so like I think like the guy I hope really dies horribly in the sh- uh, this season is Chad. He's oh the cop. Yeah, he. Oh, oh that guy fuck. sucks. Yeah, he's like so bad. I he's he's mm-hmm. he's the Joffrey. <laughs> Actually, Chad, no, yeah, I guess Richard I, Horn's more the Joffrey. This Chad's just like fuck that guy's like I hate this guy because I he's know annoying because he's like people in real life. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, Chad sucks. Yeah, we all know a Chad we hate. Yeah, that's right. Ch- people named Chad. Mm-hmm. Especially so, those yeah. guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Twin Peaks, good stuff. Yep. Uh, any other things? Not for me. Okay. I don't know about you, though. I don't know. I, uh, do you want to hear about uh, John Waters' Multiple Maniacs? We'll review that's it. That's a future creep, that, right? That, that's like, uh, that'll be episode 888, I think. So uh, just a, a short six years from now. Yeah, something like that. Uh, more, yeah. than, more than that, like 10 years oh, from okay. now, we'll talk about okay. it. Uh, John Waters is great. RJ's favorite director. He doesn't even know it yet. <laughs> uh, how, do, how does this guy rank on the Salo uh, happiness scale? Uh, he's, he's in there. He's in the, he's in the mix. He, he, uh-huh. he mixes it up in that, that neck of the woods. You'll love him. You'll but love it. It's great. He, he was so likable on this, that episode of the Simpsons. That's right. How, why is he so dirty when he makes a movie? Well, cause, cause he embraces the filth. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. He's all about the filth, RJ. You got to get down with that. No, thanks. <laughs> you, you no, thanks. Have, you, you won't have a choice. Uh, 
then the other thing I'll actually mention is I watched, I was going to watch the documentary Just Desserts, The Making of Creep Show. Because I got Ooh. that on Blu-ray, but I actually watched uh, on it a special feature uh, that's actually a Fangoria uh, documentary VHS tape from like 1986 called Scream Greats Volume 1, Tom Savini, Master of Horror Effects. That sounds cool. So yeah, oh, it's awesome. Like if you love uh, like your gore and just like clips of gore and like, and then yeah. mix it up, mixing it up with like uh, like. Uh, behind the scenes footage of how they accomplished that stuff. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Phenomenal, AJ. And it uh Ooh. and it tops off lots of Tom Savini just talking about himself. Kind of like I think before he became an asshole as people describe him on the convention circuit. Um which like I think actually comes down to the fact that he's probably burnt out on going to conventions and having like just hundreds of yeah. people come and ask him for something, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, no, that costs this much for an autograph." Yep, he's like, he's over mm-hmm. it now. Like, he's just there to basically take your money because yep. uh, Tom's got to eat. Um, but in this, he seems to be far more affable. He's like, "Yeah, you know, people send me their tapes, and I save them all." And this is before uh-huh. he, this is before he had the 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 makeup school and stuff. Yeah, um, but yeah, like his some of his stuff is like pretty amazing, uh, and just like watching the just strips down all those movies to just like, you know, people's heads getting blown off and all that stuff, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. It's uh, totally my speed. I greatly mm-hmm. enjoyed this. I think it's actually just on YouTube as well. So I didn't even have to buy this Blu-ray to watch it, but hey, it's a bonus feature. It sounds super cool. I'd like to borrow it, but I borrow all your movies and then I don't watch them. So that's right. Like The Hidden starring Kyle oh, McLaughlin. I'm going to watch that next week. Okay, fine. Okay, man, I'm trying to keep it, keep it, uh, you know, keep a low profile over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else could I mention briefly? Uh, I watched Ip Man three. Oh, IP Man. Yeah, uh, good old IP Freely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is the concluding chapter potentially of the Ip Man trilogy coming out of mm-hmm. Hong Kong, starring one Donnie Yen uh, playing yeah. the eponymous character of ip man are you familiar mm-hmm. with ip man rj uh i've heard of that ip man but i've never seen those ip men but do you know who ip man is uh isn't that that guy from the hit movie uh star wars rogue one uh i don't know if donnie yen's in star wars rogue one but ip man was the guy who trained bruce lee oh and... that's a real person yes Oh, and, and Ip Man is his name. Okay, Ip Man. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, this guy is in uh, Star Wars Rogue One. Donnie Yen is. You know kept... what? You know what else he's in? Hmm. The Creeps certified fresh favorite movie, Blade Two. Oh really? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. No, uh, I've heard of these, but I've never seen them. Okay. Well, uh, Ip Man One, I think, is really cool. It's got it's mm-hmm. some pretty fantastic uh, contemporary martial arts action. You you will believe. I believe my letterbox review is something along the lines of "You will believe a man could beat the shit out of ten other men single handedly." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Ip Man Two is fine, and Ip Man Three is fine. Um, they're like well made, entertaining enough movies. They're just like not super memorable by any means. But uh, and it's got like it, it hits a bit too many of the like oh his wife's got cancer oh she's slowly dying and now they're gonna find themselves and it's like that kind of stuff that I just like 
is never handled very well. Some right. of the CGI is a little it's it's uh cheap looking at times. Mm-hmm. Like him punching cigarette butts and stuff, that kind of stuff <laughs> is like, yeah, I could do without that because you don't need those in your movies. But uh mm-hmm. yeah, but it meant three uh Mike Tyson puts in a cameo as a uh underworld Ooh. boss. Uh so you get a big we had a big show off between them, a three minute brawl. Mm-hmm. To answer the question, what's what's stronger, boxing or uh, whatever the fuck the name of the martial art is? Wathowas, wax, wax, Yeah, Wu-Tang style. That's good enough. Because mm-hmm. that's like, uh, which like it's like the Bruce Lee weird flippy style. That's like very like uh, defensive and offensive at the same time. It looks it looks great Ooh. on film. You can, if you make you can make it look amazing in film. Of course, I was like after watching, yeah. I'm like, man, if someone could really kick ass like this, you should be able to use this in MMA. And I looked it up. Has anyone ever used this in UFC or anything? And the answer is no, no, they have never used this before. Is it is it because it's illegal or no, not? It's no, because it's ineffective. You would just like uh, no, it's just like no, people don't move that fast, and you just you know take them down and beat the shit out of them. I got gotcha. you. The end. Um, yeah, but maybe they just weren't grandmasters. Ooh, drunken masters. You ever seen that movie? I have. I saw that at the movie mill uh, when it was actually for some randomly brought in to, for circulation, but it was like a dubbed copy with the uh, ah. with the bullshit ending, where it's like, oh, yeah. he's okay, <laughs> he's not okay, RJ, yeah. he's not okay, he's, he's not okay. Cool. I uh, just thought I'd ask. Okay, fair enough. I, so, do you recommend these Ip Man movies? Yeah, I would say so, but I don't know. I think I've recommended these uh, these types of movies to you before, and you've been lukewarm. Uh, I remember. Are you back talking in about Universal Soldier Four and Five? And Five, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what were you gonna say? Oh, what were the other movies that well, you recommended? I, I, oh, have you seen? The, have you watched the Raid movies yet? Yes, I did. Okay. I thought those were pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'm as uh, wowed by strong, uh, impressive feats of uh, human ability. Um, I am more into toilet jokes and farts. Mm-hmm. So uh, n- play the crowd. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you gotta watch more of those uh, dumb Jackie Chan movies then. Well, I love Jackie Chan. He's the coolest dude. Did you know Jackie Chan's like 80 years old and he still does all his stunts? Yeah, he's he's old as fuck. Yeah, he's a cool dude. I like. I wish he would come back from China. All he does now is make movies in China, and I don't blame like, him. I mean, like kung they fu pro- yoga. Yeah, no. Well, isn't isn't that where he is? He's been the last couple of years. Is he's been making movies over in China? Yep. And they don't they don't all come here. Yep. I don't blame him. He's probably getting a lot of money, but I miss him, man. Mm-hmm. I miss him. He's around. He's around. Yeah. Meow. So, did you watch anything else? Or nah, is, uh... that's good. That's good. Uh, cool. News? Got any news? I got uh, some news. It's Stanley Kubrick's birthday. Oh, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Rest in power, uh, no. brother. Rest in power. No, there's only one piece of news that even matters. Yeah, and I don't know if I've told you this. It's a day. You might have heard this. It's about a day or two old, but uh, it's too good not to report on. Yeah. Uh, you know how. That hit movie from Warner Brothers, Justice League, is doing reshoots right now. Uh Uh-huh. So, star of Justice League, Henry Cavill, who plays Superman, he is actually filming the new Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise. And in that movie, he's got a pretty beefy mustache. 
He uh, there's been a lot of pictures that have come out with him. He's got an impressive man stash. It's very good. And uh, to do these reshoots, he's had to leave uh, Mission the Mission Impossible set for a while to come over to do the Justice League shoots. But he's contractually obligated on Mission Impossible to have a mustache. So he is not allowed to shave it. So he's doing all these reshoots for Justice League with a big bushy mustache. And the word on the street is they're just going to CGI out the mustache later. <laughs> this is real. I didn't make this up. This is real fucking news. He even he even addressed it today on uh, like Instagram or something like that. He made a big con- – like he played it off as a joke. He made a big joke about it, but he never said that it wasn't really happening. So he's, at, he's in all his scenes with a mustache. Well, see, they were like acknowledging their history like of previous uh, DC products. They would just uh, put makeup over that stash. <laughs> that would be like uh, – like, like Cesar uh, Romero. Cesar Romero, yeah, in Batman. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool, but I mean, it's Joss Whedon's not edgy enough. No, because he's doing the reshoots. So, yeah. uh, that's the only news I had. I thought that was pretty funny, and uh, I didn't know if you had heard that or not. I just wanted to share. Well, I had not, so thanks. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, hey, look at that! Just like under an hour. Uh, oh, after fuck. the break, uh, we're going to talk about one of the best movies ever made true now the flames they follow Joan of Arc as she came riding through the dark no moon to keep her armor bright no man to get her through this very smoky night she said I'm tired of the war I want the kind of work I had before a wedding dress or something white to wear upon my swollen appetite la 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 la
And we're back. And tonight we're talking about The Passion of Joan of Arc from 1928, directed by Carl Theodore Dreyer. Uh, and the recap synopsis here from Letterboxd. Uh-oh. An immortal screen classic that will live forever. <laughs> A classic of the silent age, this film tells the story of the doomed but ultimately, ultimately, canonized oh, 15th century teenage warrior. On trial for claiming she'd spoken to God, Jean d'Arc is subjected to inhumane treatment and scare tactics at the hands of church court officials. Initially bullied into changing her story, Jean uh, eventually opts for what she sees as the truth. Her punishment, a famously brutal execution, earns her perpetual martyrdom. <gasps> so, RJ, yo, uh, I'd seen this movie before, and I watched yes. it. Like, I actually, I'm surprised I have not watched it since I've been keeping track of stuff, uh, like by by a word document that I then translated into Letterbox when I discovered mm-hmm. Letterbox in 2013. So it'd been about like six years since I watched the movie for the first time, and I didn't realize it had been that long because all I really remembered of this movie uh, was watching it, bl- going in blind, just kind of being like, I like this Carl Theodore Dreyer guy. He directed all these other Criterion movies that I've watched, and I really like them. I wonder what this one's like, even though generally speaking, sometimes when you watch these 1920s silent movies, you're kind of like, I appreciate these movies more than I actually genuinely like them and mm-hmm. I remember being like wow that movie's amazing this is like one of the best movies I think I've ever seen like as far as like an actual all encompassing like piece of mm-hmm. film that exists like I can't, can't even believe how good it is and this was made in 1928 um, and so I was like you know uh, excited I guess to rewatch it uh, not realizing it had been so long since I watched it last. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, uh, this movie holds up pretty good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel the same way about this movie as mm-hmm. I did the first time I watched it. Uh, I don't know, RJ. I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, what, did you <gasps> what, what did you think of The Passion of Joan of Arc going in? Like, what did you expect? Um, and how do you feel about this movie, etc.? I think the book is better. Yeah, you you like those uh, yeah. trial transcripts? Yeah, yeah, I I, I I dig transcripts, man. Those OJ transcripts, uh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, so yeah, this was the first time watched for me, but I've heard much ado about this movie. Uh, I think a little bit from you because mm-hmm. I think at one point you were talking about how this is one of the, one of those top tier films. That's right, a film, not a movie. Mm-hmm. Films that everyone needs to watch and um. I heard of it from from you, I think, first, and then I started noticing it pop up on more things after you had told me about it, mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, ooh, yeah, I'd like to watch that, but uh, I never really got around to it because silent films that are 90 years old don't usually pop up on my list that much. No. Of like, and not the- into your regular rotation yeah. unless you have something going on that like mm-hmm. it's involved in. Like uh, when I was trying to watch all those Universal monster movies and then I was watching all the silent ones, like this could have fit in there. This is kind of a monster movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I had I've heard a lot about it, but I've never actually seen it. Uh, And I went in knowing that you thought pretty highly of it. So Mm -hmm. I, uh, I made sure that I wasn't in a bad mood. That I was in a movie watching mood. Mm-hmm. I, I was ready for this fucker. I wait until nightfall, threw that bad boy on, and uh, when it was f- really fucking hot. Yeah, you stopped. Obviously, 
Yeah, it was very, very hot in my house, which I think adds to the tension of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because uh, And once in you see the sweatiest monk you've ever seen in your whole life. Uh, but yeah, so I, I went in and I watched it. And uh, man, I think you were right. I think this is one of those one of those best movies ever made kind of deal. And mm-hmm. I don't think everybody will agree with that. And that's fine. Some people might not be down on this silent film well, stuff. Wait wait and, till we get to the sorts of pieces of oh, shit who hate this movie. Who hate this? Yeah, I'm yeah. well so that's what I mean. Like I, I can see that there's probably a few people who don't like this. And I I don't agree with them, but you know, some people don't like uh, silent movies. But my big note, my big takeaway, Jarrett, was now here's a Criterion <laughs> film. This is exact. When I first heard about the Criterion Collection, like when mm-hmm. when we talked about this on the first episode, this is the kind of thing that I thought about when I heard that there was this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for movies. Right. <laughs> this was what I had in mind. Was like movies that were not necessarily old or like silent films, but things that when you watch them, you're the whole time you're you're kind of dazzled mm. and you're just like, fuck, you're like, they could make stuff like this. And then you realize, oh, yeah, this movie's 90 fucking years old and yeah. it looks amazing. Yeah. And the way they shot this movie is amazing. Mm-hmm. And the way they made everything about this is fucking amazing. Mm hmm. So uh, I have a lot to say, but that's my general response was yeah. this is this is what I think Criterion is about. Yeah, no, uh, I, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, because like I mean, I like just going back through like kind of like all the movies we've watched of like all the Criterions up to this point, And like, I think this is like the best movie in the entire like run like of everything that we've watched i think it's like the best movie like where i'd be like what's the best movie in this deck the passion at this point like i agree i think i don't know and i don't even know what separates it if it's like because it's like so impressive that in 1928 carl theodore dreyer directed this movie and he like made this like completely like movie that's movie that's like unlike anything that was coming out at least that i know of and like Mm -hmm. i I still want to watch because uh he actually has another movie that's earlier than this called master of the house that i haven't watched yet it, it, it came out on blu-ray from criterion and it's like right. four years earlier and i'd be curious to watch like that because like, i'm pretty sure it's like not even on the same level as this just because mm-hmm. all the factors and like the story and whatnot are not all there probably the way it is here but uh right. yeah like he's like one of those guys that i've seen like a about four or five of his movies and like all of them are really good. I think this movie is mm-hmm. like, like a true landmark, but even his other stuff is like super fascinating. And they're just like these like low key character pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll kind of talk about him, like in terms of like film, uh, discussion, uh, maybe a little bit later. But yeah, right. no, like seriously, like, yeah, this movie was made in the first couple decades that the, like the technology of film existed. So it took 20 years for someone to make a movie like this. And it seems like very few films are ever able to achieve this effect since then. And it's like been, like you said, 90 years to like get better at making movies like this, for instance. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen. So nope. that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I can see, like, I think there's definite, like, um, aspects and visual like techniques and style that were in this film 
that a lot of today's popular directors, like Game Changer, Steven Spielberg, uh, <laughs> people like like I I feel like there's a lot of like techniques that the the popular directors of today they use. And I don't know if this movie did it first. I'm sure there's other films that also have done it. But this is like some of the things it's like this is the first instance I can of everything I've seen. And like I haven't seen that much stuff, especially old stuff. But this is the first instance of certain aspects like that. And I know you're going to ask like which ones specifically. But there's a lot of filming techniques that I think are really, really well done in this. Like uh, I love when it's kind of an out like the area of focus is kind of not dead in the center of the screen. So one thing they do a lot is where the person's head is like down in the corner of the frame and they do that a lot. And I love that. That's one of my favorite things is where they kind of shift the focus away from what the focal point is. Right. Um, I fucking love that. Uh, I didn't expect to see stuff like that in this movie at all. Um, there's that, there's the one really cool scene where they show the crowd and there's an overhead shot and it like the crowd is coming and it it goes overhead and it almost like inverses it and it looks like the crowd is running like away from over top it's it's hard to describe it looks Mm -hmm. like it's backwards almost and that looks really cool and then uh i think the biggest thing with this with this one that i really dig is uh the intimate (laughs) close-ups fuck what what there's so many are are, are there close-ups in this movie Oh, you you know how this movie is only close-ups? Yeah. But you it it really like um when they especially when they close up on like jo- uh, Joan of Arc. Yeah. You see so much like pain in her face. Oh my and, god, yeah. And that's all you see. It's all you see. There's no like going away from it or anything like that and it it kind of hones in on it so well. So like stuff like that, I feel like um the directors that are popular now, they do things like that. Or the one maybe not popular, but the directors I like, they 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 do things like that. And uh, so far, this is the oldest oldest one I can trace back. So oh, maybe some did it before, but I don't know. Yeah, I doubt like this. <laughs> That's for yeah. I, I don't know. Like for absolutely people, like the idea of close ups and stuff like that were around, but like the idea of like, hey, we're gonna stage this whole movie where it's like about people's faces. And there's like the way that this was too, because like so the movie is like all faces, and like none of those faces have makeup on them. Like they're just mm-hmm. shot like, like, and that's like the thing where, um, like, usually you would put makeup on your actors so that their faces would show up on film better, I guess. But I guess like uh, I was reading that uh, they were using this like new type of film stock that would actually like highlight things properly, which is also why you get like those inc- the incredible gradients and like the mm-hmm. shadows and the blacks and the whites. Like it looks so striking uh, mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie. Um, but yeah, no, it's a movie that's all faces and. Uh, that shouldn't work like if you think about Mm -hmm. movies if if a movie came along and did the same thing now it's like this obvious tactic that brings attention to itself but here it seems like well it's essentially it's a talking head movie and Mm -hmm. but you're also trying to build this environment of like well what were those these characters that you don't see in the transcript, mm-hmm. what were they doing? How were they interacting? And just like the, right. the 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 ugliness of humanity and like of like authority and just like this mm-hmm. like 
I don't know, just sure a pettiness, pettiness, and just like yeah, just like yeah. everything that you can imagine that was like wrong with the Catholic Church through this entire period yeah. of time, and just like how into themselves and this idea of laughing, and like they know yeah. the inevitability of what they're doing. They're just going through the motions to reach like a. Uh, a signature on a piece of paper, essentially. They're just going along mm-hmm. with it because they know they're going to win at the end of the day. They know how it's going to end before it begins, so they're kind of half amused by it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I mean, obviously, that's the back and forth of it too is because she's kind of, she's no-selling them because right. like in this particular interpretation of the Joan of Arc character, she's kind of like completely convinced of uh, of what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's like the whole thing of like, the the fear of being burnt alive is what makes her back down from it. But then she realizes right. that no, this is the wrong thing. I I didn't mean that at all. And then she says, no, I recant. I'm gonna burn alive because that's the, what I have to do. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like uh, such a fantastic uh, piece of movie making. There's like right. there's, there's no establishing shots. Um, the there, there's like the barest suggestions of the spaces that they're mm-hmm. all in. Like there's just enough information, and they're not like and it's not like period specific. It's not like you're watching mm-hmm. this movie and you're like, oh yeah, look at the details. This is like the clothing. It's very authentic to the uh, 14th century. But it's like no no no. Uh, it's like it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's kind of like enough to suggest it's old. And it could be like mm-hmm. anywhere from like dark ages through like the Renaissance to whatever. It's like, it's just enough to know that it's like a, of a different era, but like the story itself and the, the feelings of it all are kind of more, uh, universal. Um, right. but yeah, I mean, yeah, and there's like no sets to speak of, save the suggestion of where they are. Mm-hmm. There's like, yeah, there's no bricks and mortars kind of thing. It doesn't look like you're in a castle. It doesn't, look, it doesn't feel like you're in a dungeon. It's just these mm-hmm. white spaces. And like, and it's just the characters kind of occupying those spaces. Um, obviously, being a silent film, it's dialogue free. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. So you're just kind of focused on like the text and the faces and the acting and the emoting of everyone involved, which is superb. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the lead Falconetti. I don't like this is her only movie. This right. is the only thing she ever did, which kind of adds to this otherworldliness of the performance because it's like, well, she's like a famous person and she's just mm-hmm. up, this, this woman that embodies the that character for that uh, hour and a half this movie goes. Mm-hmm. I was reading about there was uh, Otto Preminger. He uh, made his own Joan of Arc movie and there was like the big like talent search they had of like who will play <laughs> Joan of Arc? And right. uh, they're like, and then it wound up being uh, Gene Seberg, who's in Breathless. <laughs> but it was like, oh, okay. she'd wind up being in that. But yeah, there was like yeah. the whole thing. And it's like, oh, who's it going to be? Who is it? But it's like, it became like, thing, but like who's the babe? Who's the babe oh. who gets to play Big Joan? <laughs> mm, baby. It's like, what? <laughs> uh, they should... I think uh, I'm I'm tainted by popular culture now, but uh, what's that chick from Game of Thrones, Brienne of Tarth? Mm-hmm. She could she could play Joan of Arc. She basically is, I guess. Yeah, she yeah, essentially she's that type. Um, yeah, yeah. Except for the save so, the, all the the blasphemy and getting killed when you're a 19 year old. Uh, well, that show's not over yet. So we'll that's see. right. You never know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the uh, fun fun facts of like the whole um, uh, 
because uh, I started like reading a little bit about the the actual history of it, and this movie right. kind of like deviates from the actual historical information, which is fine because hey, when you're making like a like basically perfect great piece of movie, it doesn't matter about the details. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the reason she dressed as a man were for practical purposes because when you're on the well, battle, yeah. when you're on the battle like on the battlefield um, and you're trying to move around as a woman, it probably is best that no one knows that you're a woman. Don't they don't they address that in one of the uh, the like '90s movies about her? Isn't there? Yeah, they sure do. Um, yeah, there's that aspect, but it's like, yeah. and like the whole thing, like the defense afterwards, like her like dressing as a man during like while she's imprisoned and being questioned. Right. Uh, the reason why she kept doing that wasn't because God was telling her; it's because no, because it's it takes far too long and it's far too difficult for a man to take off these clothes to rape me. Uh, um, yeah, that's like the thing. It's like those like those fastenings and stuff like that that men wore during their yeah. in their armor. It's like yeah, that was like a real pain in the ass. Whereas like oh here honey, wear this dress. It's just, it just offers itself easy access. Ugh, I don't like when you say that. <laughs> that's real real upsetting. <laughs> yeah, well, so is probably being a woman in like the fourteenth century. Yeah. Yeah, you right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, also, uh, another crazy thing about this movie is, uh, it's at the end of the day, it's a courtroom drama. And when you yeah, say, when you say courtroom drama, you go, <laughs> snooze, mm-hmm. no thanks. Uh, this is boring. Wait a minute. Now that's the, cause yeah. that's have because... you ever seen jury duty? Cause that's a courtroom drama and that is a fine piece of cinema. There are plenty of really good courtroom dramas, but right. okay. uh, I, I don't know if very many of them are uh, quite up to this level. There's like, um, Oh God, what's it called? Anatomy of a murder, which, uh, it's like way too long. It's like three times as long as this movie is and it, it never needs to be. Yeah. And it's got your, your good friend, James Stewart. Jimmy, Who? Jimmy Stewart. Uh, that weirdo. No. Yeah, that guy's weird. Um, yeah, so and then, yeah, faces. Uh, yeah, all, mm-hmm. all, the only sense of space that you get in this is, like, the cragginess and, like, texture <laughs> yeah. of people's faces. Because, boy, those, like, those shots of the bishops and priests and all those all those mm-hmm. guys, all those dudes. And it's, like, that's, yeah. that's all you get to look at. And it's just mm-hmm. raw. And you just get to see right through their souls, man. Yeah. It's it's funky. It's gnarly. That's um that's actually the other really good filming I don't know, technique that I really like. Uh when they do like the pan shot. They do yeah. this a lot where it's like the left to right, where they show like the whole kind of tribunal of dudes on the council. Yeah. Or whatever 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 they are. They go left to right in like a slow like steady manner they show every single person they do that a lot i really love that i uh the one part it's really good is when there's that like telephone game style daisy chain mm-hmm. where the guys are like saying something they're passing along the message yeah and it just goes from every guy over and over again that's wicked good uh and then another scene a couple scenes like that like um when the tormentors are putting like the crown on her that one is shown so like I wrote down elegant, I mm. guess. Yeah. So it's it's they they show it in a really unique way where it, it like kind of goes between the two or three tormentors and then back to Joan. Right. And then between them and then the crown on her face and she's just kind of 
She's in such pain, man. And that is shown so, so well. And then uh, the other one I really liked was um, the signing scene when she signs that uh, confession yep. before she like like redacts it or retracts it. When when she's signing it and then it kind of flashes to like the weapons of impalement and like there's like maces and the noose and then birds with like maggots or something while she's signing it. And then when she actually does sign it, the way that it's taken away from her, I think is so, so cool where it's like one person grabs the pen from one direction and another person grabs the paper from another direction. Mm. And it's like in an instant they get like get taken away like that. Things like that, I think is what makes this movie really fucking special. Like the way they show it like that, the way it's all kind of edited together and that like, that's what I mean. Like I don't, we've talked about it before. I don't know editing like that well, like, I would never be, like, an asshole would be like, oh, this movie has poor editing. Hmm. But, like, there's sometimes there's cases where it's really bad that even people who don't know can pick up on it. Or, like, this one, where it's really good and you're just like, man, this movie flows really well together. Yeah. And, and, and then, and, it, uh, yeah, it creates these, like, uh, like, like the, what you just were talking about. I mean, it's, it's a visual poetry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a nice way that doesn't sound like a dink to say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I just think whenever I think of like poetry and talking about cinema, I just think of George Lucas. Oh, it's like it's like poetry, you know. They they kind of rhyme. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I, that's what I think of, and I'm like, yeah, just like what George Lucas is doing. That's what Passion of the Christ uh, only attempted to do, and George delivered. I don't know, man. Did you ever see that Devil Baby in Passion of the Christ? Uh, with Mel, Big Mel. Yeah. What was he yeah, gonna do? <laughs> I thought that was your favorite. I thought you were talking about Passion of the Christ. Oh no! Are you talking about Passion of Joan of Arc? Yes. Uh, oh okay. man, we've been talking about two different movies this whole time. <laughs> oh no! Uh Anyway, speaking of Mel Gibson, uh, bleeding <laughs> the bleeding out scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. like that's some watching Tom Savini uh, documentaries, watching some good old fashioned practical effects, and it's like, oh man, that bleeding out scene is like pretty fucking like grotesque. But did but they it, actually poke that woman? I don't think so, but who knows? I mean, right. who goddamn? Goddamn <laughs> that, is that, right. That, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of thick viscous blood. I don't think it would pour out that way, but it's very effective the way yeah, they did it. You're you're not a doctor. I, I'm not a doctor. Or a nurse, or anyone. You're not a doctor, thankfully. Yeah, so it could have been. But mm-hmm. anyways, yeah, that seems gnarly as fuck. Because yeah. they stabbed the shit out of her leg, and then she's like, pss, pss, pss. "Oh yeah." That's the sound it makes in this silent film. Pss, 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 pss. Uh, yeah, nice. and, and then burning. <laughs> oh man! So the inevitability of uh the reason we're even like talking about this is someone mm-hmm. had to be burned alive so this story could be told wait a minute is this based on a true story hmm. why hmm. why yes rj my god yeah that was a bad thing they did to this poor woman that's right just for being different just for being different is that the Dawson Creek song? Uh, whatever that fucking uh, Peter Gabriel song is. Okay. Yeah. I don't know that song, so I'm going to respond as such. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, what else is to say about this movie? Oh, you know what? We had a comment, a question from a fan who uh, 
I put on the letterbox that I had watched this with the uh, musical track. Mm, yeah. Uh, and then they had asked if you should watch with the musical track. Uh, I've never seen it without. Yeah. But in my opinion, I thought that the music was fucking awesome. I thought it was so good. I don't know if that's like what was originally no it's it's like with this there's a crazy list on wikipedia of like all the different like uh, accompaniments that have gone with it like nick cave did a performance to it there's there's, there's actually a band called joan of arc that also did a uh score Uh, to it and stuff like that there's like yeah there's like everybody i think uh is probably not everyone but a lot of folk have uh added to it and the one in this particular uh guided by light or whatever the the orchestral composition they put on with this, I think like on the Criterion DVD, it's like, it's so good. Uh, it's very mm-hmm. like, it. I've heard some like pretty shitty canned like music that they've thrown onto silent films and it's been bad. Uh, mm-hmm. The worst offense nowadays is that like some asshole with a like electronic keyboard will like compose some like some fake sounding digital orchestral music and it's the worst. Yeah. It, it, I just, I would rather listen to it with nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sometimes that's that's a real deal breaker. But I mean, as far as I know, the one that's available on Criterion is pretty great and uh, doesn't take anything away to it. It helps move the. St- it probably helps things move along. Uh, yeah. I always find music helps move anything mm-hmm. along. That's why people put music yeah. to things. Yeah, I don't know what version I watched it with. Uh, it was an audio track and it was mostly piano, but I think there was maybe some orchestra. Uh, I watched this legally, of course. Mm-hmm. So whatever was, uh, accompanied with that. Um, I thought it was fucking great, man. Like I thought it really helped, uh, like it seemed like the track was made like specifically for the movie, which I know sounds dumb. It's like, well, of course it was, but I feel like some people could just like put tracks over, over things without actually doing it but the music worked so well with what was actually happening on screen i thought it was great so i actually wrote my note jared was hot fire i wrote original music question mark hot fire so uh i i I dug it dude well that's fantastic right just outstanding uh so uh, yeah uh on the version that you watched legally rj did it mm-hmm. give you any of like the little tidbits of like this film's history and how it was lost for like 60 years well so the the only downside to what i watched was everything was fine and then at the end it had the sc- the text scroll at the end but it didn't have subtitles Oh. And at the start of the film, it did have subtitles to the text, like uh, to the um, the crawl. Mm-hmm. It it did have subtitles to that, but at the end, it didn't. And then it just ended. And I was like, oh, I guess it's like, well, I know, I kind of know how that turned out. So I think I know what happened. But uh, yeah, I missed that part. Right. Um, so yeah, the movie was released back in old, uh, October 25th, 1928, or no, sorry, April 21st, 1928, and then it premiered in Paris, but then, uh, there was some editing to be done, uh, uh and so stuff like that would be done without Dreyer's, uh, involvement, which of course would mm-hmm. piss off anybody. Versions were destroyed, uh, there was a fire, mm-hmm. and people just said, oh, it's gone, the original cut is no more, that's the end of it. Yeah. Uh, I think like for a very long time, there was like only a like an hour-long version that was available without uh, 
subtitles. Right. So that was a pain in the ass. But then one day mm-hmm. in 1981, uh, an employee of a mental institution in Oslo found several film <laughs> canisters in a janitor's closet that were being Whoa. labeled the Passion of Joan of Arc. And they were able to uh, restore those. And then uh, I think they managed to find like the bits that they didn't have. So they have essentially what they assume is like the most complete version of the film that exists now, which mm-hmm. is what we, which we got to watch, which was nice. Um, that is nice. Yeah. Hooray for film I restoration. Like yeah. So yeah, it's like, like, yeah. cause there's like always the joke about like silent films being found in, in insane asylums and stuff like that. And like, there's mm-hmm. like Metropolis has like a crazy history of being found in like a copy will be found in like Brazil and like weird things. We locked yeah. up in like film archives from somewhere. And then you're like, Oh, there it is. <laughs> there it was staring us in the face all along. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Who would have known? And the one uh, scene in this movie that uh, reminded me of you, made me think of you, <gasps> was the one lady running around with her sheep uh, as like the as the as, as the riot breaks out, and I'm like, yeah. oh, RGL appreciate that that lady's saving her sheep. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, that was a cool move. Yeah, you should take care of those sheep because yeah. they can't take care of themselves when they're in the prison of man. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple! Wake up, sheeple! Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I guess, yeah, okay. I didn't uh, get to go back on this. So uh, that burning alive scene, damn. That, mm-hmm. Just like, I don't know how you could make a good convincing body to burn like that and like, in, and hold on it. There's no like shortcuts, mm-hmm. no like, we'll cut to after the fact. It's like, no, you get to see the the process of uh, the body burning. Uh, the person's dead, but you get to see mm-hmm. that, that body fall apart, crumble into ash. Do you, do you think they got like an actual dead body and just roped it up and yeah. burnt it down well i mean this was that actress's only movie oh no well but yeah no it, it does it looks good it's convincing man yeah uh yeah. so the one thing i'll talk so i've talked about our old carl theodore dreyer there'll be opportunity to talk about him again down the road uh but he's he's fantastic uh my the first time i'd ever heard his name get bandied about was uh in relation to paul schrader the scriptwriter and of like taxi driver and stuff like that and director in his own right he wrote a book mm-hmm. like years ago uh about like transcendental film and he was talking <gasps> about three different directors in in regards to this it was carl theodore dreyer uh french director robert bresson and uh uh, the Japanese director, uh, let's see, uh, Ozu, uh, mm-hmm. Yazuki Ozu, who will be watching a movie of his uh, in a couple months here, which will be what? which will be fun because I've never actually seen this one. But anyway, so these three directors, he talks about is like them being kind of like these the transcendental filmmakers. Like when we're talking about like composition and like how hands kind of enter the frame at the same time and pull away a pen and a piece of paper. These are the guys that were like minimalists, but they're really trying to like do more with like film as like a visual metaphor, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, and these are the guys that he puts into that framework. And uh, like, I'd say that like these three guys are like the best, some of the best directors in the Criterion Collection that I don't think people, they don't get their fair shake. Uh, I think Robert Bresson does a little bit better because his stuff is like very like existential, which I think appeals to people and kind of dreary, like his movie, like Pickpocket, uh, A Man Escapes and stuff like that. And then Ozu's movies are uh, like these like family dramas, but they're also like mm. uh, like beautifully made, uh, beautifully shot. Uh, and like they, they have such super, like such control over every move. And actually mm-hmm. fittingly, Robert Bresson also directed a Joan of Arc movie 
the trial of Jonah Burke, mm. which I have uh, set aside for myself, but I didn't want to watch it right after watching this because I feel like it would just like immediately impact me watching it. Right. That that being said, I did watch another Joan of Arc movie. <gasps> Which uh, one? I watched The Messenger, the story of Joan of Arc from 1999, directed by Luc Valerian Besson. Oh, no. Hey, his movie failed at the box office last week. Yeah, uh, people didn't go see it. And uh, yeah. word of mouth is negative, though I had one person at the comic store today excitedly tell me how awesome it was. But mm-hmm. this same guy also thinks Batman vs. Superman is like one of the best movies ever made. Wait, I wasn't in the store today. You were not. And you haven't seen Valerian. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, so, he's got he's got some good taste. So uh, The Messenger, RJ, is two hours and 37 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of tells like the whole story of Joan of Arc. It talks, it shows her a, a little girl and it shows her visions and survive. And basically, uh, it's one of those like post Braveheart um, period pieces that came out in the 90s that really want to demonize the English uh, because mm-hmm. they're just like marauding rapists that will fuck a corpse because it's convenient. Uh, they're, uh. They're, 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 they're just monsters. Um, and then of course, so young, the, the, the little girl, Joan of Arc, uh, survives a raid on her village by the English and grows up to be Mila Jovovich, uh, Luc Besson's, uh, wife at the time. Hmm. And, uh, she goes and raises banners and runs around. Uh, the movie kind of drives home more of the aspect for me, I guess, of her being a, uh, religious fanatic. And right. uh, so I guess history is written by the winners. And so initially, you know, Joan of Arc was viewed as a bad, bad chick and like and, and saying all sorts of bad things. But then like a couple hundred years later, the Catholic Church was like, oh, no, she was great. Mm. <laughs> uh, are, you, are you saying she was a nasty woman? Nasty woman. Or a bad hombre? Bad hombre. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying all those things. Um, okay. anyway, so messenger, it tells more of the complete package. John Malkovich puts right. in an appearance as the king, the, the Dompier or whatever. Uh, yeah, this movie is just, I don't know. It's super generic and pretty forgettable and skippable. Right. Um, like it's just, I don't know. It's everything you'd expect from a nineties movie. Actually the first mm-hmm. bit I was like, kind of like, yeah, I kind of like these types of movies. I remember when movies like this were made all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. things like the Patriot, <laughs> Uh, Ooh, that movie Iron, rules. Man in the Iron Mask, that sort of stuff. Those were, they, yeah. they, they, they don't make them like they used to, RJ. Uh, but this movie, uh, I think in Roger Ebert's review of it, he refers to it as gassy because there's just <laughs> like lots of like, you don't need any of this. Like the most interesting right. part of her story is like the trial. Like that is kind of like the mm-hmm. most fascinating aspect Uh to it because that's why the stories that focus on that are the ones that we mm-hmm. talk about to this day uh and this movie i don't know it like it almost smash cuts to like her burning alive it's kind of like more hilarious yeah. than anything it, yeah this movie over like and then uh dustin hoffman's in this thing and like i thought he's like an actual character but no he plays the her conscience that's in her head uh, he's definitely the best part of the story, and it kind of brings in more of the idea that like she's having doubts about her sanity, mm-hmm. which is like also kind of like very late nineties. <laughs> yeah, those um, hysterical women, Jared. Yeah, you gotta watch out for them. So I cannot. I 
will not recommend anyone bother watching this movie. Um, there, I did, also I ran out of time to watch the equally long Joan of Arc, uh, starring Lily Sobieski. Sobieski, because um, like I've heard that movie's like just even like worse and probably oh. less money. And like she doesn't even like cut her hair. I don't think she's just like a long haired lass. Just like she's got mm-hmm. that she's got that Jennifer Lawrence look to her. That right. I don't get it. I don't know. <laughs> That's a hot take, Jer. Yeah, that's it. That's all. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm okay. like, but anyway. So transcendental uh, filmmaking is, is pretty great. RJ, you gotta. If you mm-hmm. like this, you got more dryer coming up. So that's cool. Ooh. Yeah, I dig that. Yeah. I'm into that. But hey, RJ, there are some pieces of Hold shit. Up. Oh, oh. Hold up. He just raised. His I'm finger not done at with me. this movie yet. Okay. I'm not done yet. Okay. I just have one more thing to say. Okay. I am. So glad that this came after Life of Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that if this was before, I would have loved it. And then I would have watched Life of Brian and I would have gotten really mad. And I would have <laughs> really shit on Life of Brian. Why? Why? I don't know. I think it's, I don't know. I guess it's because they're both like religious movies. And I didn't love Life of Brian. But when I was watching this, I was like, I'm really glad this was after. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, did, did, I, did, did this speak to your, your Catholic upbringing, RJ? It did. It did. Yeah. Burn the witch, man. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, Tom York said it first. Yeah. Uh, no, um, I don't know what it was. I just I thought I should say that because I think the placement of this movie is is good. I like that it came after Life of Brian. Because if any nerd watches it in chronological order like us, um, I, I, I don't know. I think it's better after. So hmm. that's just me. And then the last thing I was going to say to you, Jared, is look into her. You know how there's so many like close ups in this movie of Joan of Arc? Yeah. Do you when you look into her eyes, what do you see? A cult of personality. Cult of person. No, I was going to say I thought uh, I think this movie is the inspiration to one of your favorite horror movies ever. Uh, the classic smash hit Martyrs. Mm, well it's the it's the whole ballpark it's the whole ball game like i know that's what that movie gets after but uh the close-ups in this movie when you look at the actress who plays joan of arc her eyes are dreamy man they're starry yeah something going on in there Mm -hmm. so anyways that's all i want to say but yeah you were talking about some pieces of shit who don't like this movie yeah like nathan who didn't give this movie a star rating. Um, <gasps> so it's kind of breaking the rules of like lowest rated movies because there's people who don't rate, they just make comments. But I came across this one and then I was like, oh, fuck you, Nathan. Fuck you. Yeah. And he just watched this back in June, this guy. Oh, man. I'm not sure this even counts as watching it because I only made it 15 minutes. I could not be more Come bored. On. A bunch of people in a shared delusion arguing whether the room they both believe in that isn't there is a, is black or white. Boring, boring, boring. I don't think there's anything here, and I don't think that there's anything in the real life story. One side of an unjust war captured an enemy combatant and executed her. All I can say is, K. What a piece of shit. <laughs> His problems are more deep rooted in his own personal, his own personal things. So so there, there was like another comment uh, I came across that was also no stars, but it was just like I'm an atheist. I think it was actually no. I think that was actually a half star review. I'm an atheist. (laughs) Shut up! Like Like, you know what? Uh, Shut up. Also, uh, hand up here. 
an atheist uh, has nothing to do with enjoying this movie or like finding something like of yeah. merits or of interest in this movie. Has nothing. So these are they're they're dumb dums. That has nothing to do with it. And this atheist, as he claims, he's no better than the people who are pushing shit on other people. That's right. You nerd. You nerd. <laughs> you nerd. Uh, Fuck that guy. So. Here's a review from just a person who watches movies. Oh, come on. Half star. So instead of making a film about Joan of Arc's life, they decided to make a film about her trial. A film that is a bunch of people sitting around and talking in a silent movie. Terrible idea. I was quite pleased with the silent rendition of Ben-Hur, but this, this was horrific. There is nothing worse than an hour and a half of ultra close-ups on a person's face who looks permanently drugged out of her mind. 50% of the film, her eyes are bulged out. 40% of the film, she looks baked. And 10%, she's just randomly crying. Heads up, bugging your eyes out and staring into space is not good acting. I was beyond bored by the 20-minute mark that I just wanted them to get on with the burning. This film cannot make you feel sympathy or sadness because there is nothing there. Just stupid, drugged-out stares. I concur with Robert Brisson's claim that film is nothing but grotesque buffooneries. He's goddamn right. I can't repeat enough how much I hated that drugged-out face. It doesn't help that the medieval soldiers are all dressed like World War One infantry carrying spears. It just serves to make the film more silly. And know what was really fucking dumb? The ending. For absolutely no fucking reason, the moment Joan dies, the World War One soldiers grab a bunch of maces and start beating the crowd to death and throwing spears at them. There was no ride or anything, just sudden killing because fuck it. What the fuck? Does this person know that this really happened? Uh... Do they know that? Oh, Oh, wait, wait, just one more. This film steals the honored place of the worst movie I've ever seen from 2001 A Space Odyssey. A difficult feat, but achieved. Oh, come on. Fuck this film and fuck the stupid reviewers who lie to us and give it five stars. Do not waste your time. All caps. I have so much to say about this, Jared. Okay, one, I don't think this person even knows that this actually happened. Or that this movie's 90 years old. They're talking about fucking Ben-Hur. It's like, yeah, that movie came way later, no, you no, guys. No, no, there was a silent Ben-Hur. That's that's the Okay. There was there was a before okay. before, okay, Ch- okay, before okay. Charlton Heston there was. But nonetheless. <laughs> nonetheless. And then also, she's talking about drugged out eyes. Come on, man. It's like if she actually or, she she sorry. If the, if he actually <laughs> it it whoever this person is whoever this person is that um what i meant when she was if you look at joan of arc the actress who plays it Mm. i never got that she was drugged out like she seems obviously distressed Mm. but i feel like that's what she probably was fucking going through yeah she's distressed because she's gonna get fucking burnt alive like you know what i'm you know what i mean dude and it's like when she said 10% or um, when the person said 10% crying unnecessarily, it's or crying for no reason. It's like, well, she's crying because everyone's yelling at her and telling her she's stupid. I would cry too. See, I would even like go like for me, like her whole like performance is like this understanding of this character is like she legitimately obviously believes that she is in like communication with 
God. Like she, like right. God is speaking to her and has t- directed her in her life. And like, she's kind of in this like weird, like drugged out state of like, of like dealing with like a higher consciousness than her own. Mm-hmm. And like, she's rendering this like in this real way of like, she's like spaced out because like she probably hears these voices and then like, at times she's abandoned and she doesn't know how to make sense of it. And she's like been arguing with people for a very long time about this stuff that she completely believes. Um, mm-hmm. So like one thing, I guess, cause it's going back to Luke Besson's the messenger, but like, there's like more of like a reading that like, Oh, she's a schizophrenic. Like that's kind of like the thing that like realistically, you know, you would apply to this story, but because we're talking about a movie, uh, which could also, you know, it deal works in a state of fiction and then you can apply it to your own life as much as you want it to, um, this idea that like what, like dealing with like the spiritual truths of the world and like making the world a better place and doing what's right. And like this particular character is completely, um, convinced that like she's being told what to do. And it's like, all these things are like, Oh, those are all good things. Like there's Mm -hmm. like the one line about in like the, in the Luke Besson movie where it's like, um, She's like, I just want to do good things. And her priest is like, oh, you should follow through with that. That's those yeah. like, that that voice that you're hearing sounds like a pretty good voice to have. It's not the voice that says, kill, kill, kill. Like, yeah. So I don't know. It's like, um, I don't know. There's like that fine line of mental illness, spiritual mm-hmm. awakening. So, I mean, like I, the performance is amazing. <laughs> And uh, I, the, the, I don't yeah. know, this like comment borders on the line of troll for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's it's right so, up there with that amazing. Uh, the 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 other uh, ranking one is that Seven Samurai review that I read. Oh yeah, that that classic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So can I tell you? I agree with what everything you said. Can I tell you about this guy or this woman person? Uh, this person who is just a person who watches movies. Mm. From Cambodia, allegedly. Here's their bio, Jarrett. Oh, you looked them up. (laughs) I am so mad at this person, whoever they are. Here's their bio. Films are meant to be entertaining. That is their primary purpose. A film that is not entertaining misses the point of why film exists. If your film appeals... (laughs) If your film appeals exclusive to filmmakers and film critics, it is not a quote-unquote good film. This, more than anything else, is why I mostly detest indie and arthouse films. I reject the term cinephile. I watch hundreds of films and enjoy or dislike many, but I will not be assimilated into the pretentious world of wannabe critics who try to shame everyone into conforming viewpoints. Film tastes are subjective and nobody has objectively good or bad tastes. If you can't fathom why someone may dislike a film you like, or like a film you dislike, you have a narcissism issue and should attempt to pull your head out of your ass. Now, furthermore, Jarrett, this is the this person, person. This is the person who just said, "And fuck the stupid reviewers who lie to us and give us five stars. Do not waste your time." Five, yeah, exactly, exactly. And do you know what this person's favorite films are? Uh, I looked it up, but tell me again. Tell the Matrix. Yeah. Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers. Yeah. The Last of the Mohicans, which I find is oddly out of place in this list. <laughs> a little bit. And then the cherry on the top, Star Wars, Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. This person, whoever, this person who just watches movies is, also watched Dunkirk this week, gave it three stars, mm-hmm. and watched Valerian, the aforementioned Luke Besson movie, and gave it three and a half stars. I was going to say, a bitch of three and a half. They give it, they give it the so, edge. They give it the edge. I, I'm all over this fucking person. I'm on to you, man. 
Uh, they only gave The Rock three stars, which is fucking atrocious. That movie. <laughs> uh, but they agree with you. They gave Baby Driver two and a half. Oh no. Uh, okay, I'm okay. done with this. Person. Okay, okay. But, uh, you know what? This this person sucks, and I hate them. One more. Soupy doopy. <laughs> oh no. Half star. I'm sorry. I know this is considered a masterpiece by a lot of people, but I just can't find anything to praise here. I tried. Really, I did. I recognize its innovation at the time, but ah, geez, come on, people. It's question and answer film done mostly in extreme close-up. Sometimes (gasps) innovation isn't the right path. (laughs) Sometimes there is a reason things haven't been done a certain way before. It was so god-awfully boring good gravy. Given the choice to rewatch this or watch paint dry, I would pay money to watch the paint dry. The acting was ridiculous, especially from the lead actress. Her wide open eyes was laugh inducing. I can't keep a straight face and call this good cinema. I don't mean to sound disrespectful to Joan because it's an inspiring story. It's just this film about her life is so painfully dull. She deserves better. I know they didn't have a whole lot to work with back then, but my God, mix it up a bit. I could have made this film in my basement with all my uncles dressed in robes. If you enjoy this movie, good for you. That's great. But I can't do it. Never, ever again. I think that this person, Jarrett, is an (laughs) anti-vaxxer. Because whoever this person is is talking about how uh, innovation is bad and maybe you should just leave things the way they are. Mm -hmm. Good gravy. Yeah, so maybe you don't want to give your kid penicillin. Try ginger. That might work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that person sucks. All these people suck. All these people, they're the worst. They all suck, and you're no better. Neither am I. That's right. Everybody sucks, and uh, life is horrible. But this movie is pretty good. This movie is pretty good. We can agree on that at least. Yeah. Yeah. So. Outstanding. Anyways. Anyways. Hey, mm-hmm. we were trying to do a shorter episode. <laughs> Well, hey, at least, though, at least, this episode, the bulk of it is actually talking about the movie. That's, yeah. So, hey, hey. No, no one can complain about that. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. They will. They always Someone, do. Somebody will complain. All right. Yeah. Um. That's it. This movie is Ace. You should watch it if you haven't figured that out by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the break, uh, we're not going to rape anybody. Wait, are you talking for both of us? You're the one that they used to hate, but they like you now. And everything that goes away will return somehow. They're the ones that spit on you, cause they got no heart. I'm the one that will follow you, you're my Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc. You had a vision, they couldn't see so 
So, RJ, when you're killed by the state, uh, what kind of martyr are you going to be? What are you going to be the saint of? Toilets, obviously. Why would oh. you even ask that question? Always with the toilets. You, du you dumb idiot. <laughs> so, they, are, are they going, so they're going to. So that means though they're going to drown you in a toilet. Yeah, at least hopefully it's clean. No, it won't be. Can clean I change hard. my it's answer? The, I want to. It's I the say drowning toilet, dude. The drowning toilet. Oh, I want to say butts and dumps. Is that okay? All right. So uh, I'll die, by, die you, by a butt. Live by the butt. Die by the butt. You can email us at criteriancreeps at gmail.com and tell us about how you want to die. Uh, we've got a Facebook page. Uh -huh. We're on Instagram. We're on the letterbox. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, all that jazz. Hey, leave us a review. You can give us two stars for all the butt talk. Ooh, I hope so. Next week, spine number 63. And I'm excited. Because I like this movie. I always have. So I, I can watch Crack Open that Blu-ray. Carnival of Souls. Directed by Herc Harvey from 1962. Hey, Jer. Yeah. I've seen that movie. What? Yeah. Whoa, daddy. That's, Ooh, that's, baby. that's crazy. It's a it's a around the horn rewatch. This is like yep. a this is like Armageddon levels. It is, and can I tell you, this has one of my favorite alcoholism quotes ever. Oh, fantastic. One of. I've talked about many on this show, but uh, it's got a good one. This one's got a good one. Outstanding. Uh, cool. Well, we will reconvene next week, and we'll be talking about a movie about a woman on the run. <gasps> ghouls. <laughs> There's <gasps> ghouls. Love those ghouls. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, y'all have a good week now, you hear? Ugh. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> I ate a bunch of asparagus earlier, and now my pee smells real weird. Real asparagus-y. Yeah, and like I know that's a thing, but it always surprises me. I'm always like, oh yeah, that does stink.